Unlike so many things in this world, God's love is not a quid pro quo. We like to try to make it out that way, right? I mean, over human history, getting God's favor or the God's favor was definitely quid pro quo. I'm going to give you this offering. I'm going to slaughter this bull. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, sacrifice my firstborn child. I'm going to sacrifice some young woman from the, from the community. I mean, horrible, despicable things in order to try to appease the gods and have some sort of quid pro quo. And you never knew, if, as you look at the history of that, you, people never knew, human beings never knew how much was enough. How many times do we have to, how many, how many bulls do we have to slaughter? How many doves do we have to burn up? How many, you know, how much money do we have to give in order to gain God's favor? That's why the book of Leviticus is such, a, is such an amazing book. Most people get bored reading Leviticus because it's all these rules and regulations. But according to some scholars, it is a tremendous leap forward in people's relationship with God because now all of a sudden... The people knew what they were to do. It seems foreign to us that we would come and, and make sacrifices of animals and those sorts of things because we, we live in a very different time now for most of us. But that prescription was a leap forward in people's relationship with God because now they understood what it meant to have this relationship with God. And then in Jesus, we... We hear the story and that's why we hear about, that's why the word sacrifice is, is so much, so often used in relationship to Jesus because that's what people understood. They understood that they were supposed to make sacrifices in order to gain the favor of God. And then as they saw the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, they saw that that had come to an end. That Jesus in their way of thinking was the final sacrifice Thinking about that and, and trying to think through all that is very difficult because it doesn't go along with the way we live our lives today. I mean, we talk about sacrifice, but we don't talk about that kind of sacrifice, this kind of negotiation with God. We've gotten very used to understanding a God as a God of love, as a God of benevolence. But that really comes out of the development and the understanding and especially of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And you've often heard me preach, and I'm going to say it again, that God's love is a fact. It just is. It's a, it's a thing. It's solid. Even if we don't quite understand it or feel it, and we don't, we don't do all the things that we do. We don't make commitments. We don't reach out to our neighbor. We don't try to lift other people up out of poverty or to help them move into homes or to help them get jobs or to help them better themselves or to, or to create political systems that are better for the community because we're trying to gain favor from God. We Christians do it because God first loved us and that love fills us in such a way that we then want to spill that love over and out into the community so that everyone might know how deeply loved they are. How they are lovable and loved by God in a community. And so as we, as we seek in becoming disciples, as the, as, the, as the message title is called, as we become disciples, we've talked about 
some of the ways that we live into this love of God. The ways that we lean into this love of God is by praying daily and worshiping weekly and reading the Bible and serving at our church and beyond. By being in relationship with others to encourage spiritual growth and by giving freely of our time and our talents and our resources. All of these things are not checkbox things in order to get God's favor. They are living out of this relationship that God has with us. It's almost like at home, sometimes people will say, well, don't you pay your kids for the chores they do around the house? No, we don't. Why? Because this is what families do for each other. We take care of the household together because we love each other. That's part of the relationship that we have with each other is, is to do these things together and to, care, and to care for each other in this way. Just like in, in whatever you know, friendship or marital relationship or significant other relationship, whatever that relationship is, we don't, just do, we don't do things because we're trying to get something. That's a great way to sabotage a relationship, by the way keeping a scorecard. I mean, if you want to, just go ahead. Just go ahead and if you're, gonna, if you're doing that, just put that up on the wall, would you? How many times have I gotten points this week and how many times, and I'm going to take points away from you when you screw up. How about that? Let's, let, that'll make for a great relationship. I mean, it could be fun, you know, for a little while just to play, you know, have a little game or something, but after a while, and there are lots of people that do that in their own minds, but that is not, that is not the relationship that we have with God. God loves us so much and has given us everything, including sending his son to be an example, to show us that this kind of love is the way that we are to live and that this kind of love will be, will be persecuted by the powers that be, that it will be hard to live this kind of love, that we will always be, as we might say metaphorically, pushing the rock uphill. And sometimes it might feel like Sisyphus where we push the rock uphill, the rock rolls back over us, we got to go back to the bottom and start all over again. But we do that and we never give up. We never give up that hope because God loves us so much and God continues to put this hope in our hearts that even in death, there is life. Even in what looks like weakness, there is strength. That there is something going on in this world that is beyond our comprehension with our five senses. That there, is, there are things happening in this world that God is at work and we are called to simply be part of it. Even when it looks like maybe it's not making a huge difference. And so we continue in our lives to align ourselves with people who aren't like us or who we don't think are like us. We share a lot in our common humanity. Wednesday night, we had a wonderful opportunity, the, the church, to, to come together with, with people from the recovery community. All of us call this place home for one reason or another, right? Some people come here for meetings in order to, to get and to stay sober and clean, some of us come here for worship and for Bible study and for service. And so we came together and we had a potluck together. And it was, it was so awesome to me to see 
every person who came in. They said, what do you want us to do? I said, put your food over here and then I want you to talk to somebody you don't know. And guess what? People did. I mean, that was like the, you know, the seventh miracle or something. I don't, you know, I mean, maybe it was the, the 15th miracle of Jesus. I don't know, but it was so cool because I know how hard it is. I know how awkward it is to be in a place where you don't know people and you're asked to go meet them. And I told, I told Noah later at home, I said, you know, there are, there are few times in my pastoral life where in the moment, in the very moment, I felt like that's what we're here for. This is the gospel work right here. And I get chills thinking of it just now. Breaking down stigma, breaking down barriers. And as I told the community on Wednesday night, we're trying to, as Christians, we're trying to break down the stigma around Christians. That Christians are judgmental and angry. That way we like to say, you're, you're, you're no good, you're out, you're horrible, you're, you, you, need to, you need to get your stuff together before God's going to love you. We're also trying to break down the stigma around addiction because it affects all of us. Whether you've got someone in your, in your, in your close circle of friends or family who's, who's struggling with an addiction or not, it is affecting our economy, it is affecting our lives, and it has ripple effects Wednesday night was very bittersweet, right as we were getting ready to start our meal. David Rook, who is, who is uh, one of our main partners in that and a friend of mine, right as we're getting ready to introduce him, and, and he got a phone call, and he says, somebody just overdosed. I've got to go to the hospital. And I said, wait, we're going to introduce you, and then we're going to send you out, and then we're going to pray. So he went to the hospital, and sometime later he texted me. He said they revived him. I said, that's great. That's amazing. And then a few minutes later, he said, he's gone. That's the reality in which we live. Is that sometimes it feels like we're pushing the rock uphill. We live out of this love of God and we never give up hope, even in the midst of death, because we believe death can also bring new life. We believe that Jesus and God was in the midst of that young man's life even at the very end. And the gift of that young man's life will live on because because of the way he died, his family was able to give his organs to seven other people. So seven other people were given life because of his choices and his death. And so I'm not trying to make it out to be some easy thing or some cool quid pro quo, right? Right? This person dies, this person lives. But we are in the midst of that. And that is is becoming disciples. That is is living into this relationship that God has with us, that God pours into us this love. And as we realize it and as we see it and as we struggle in our lives together, we begin to live out of that love instead of out of fear, instead of out of desperation, instead of out of wanting to hoard and to hold our own and to to keep everything for ourselves. And today, today we make a very visible sign of that when we take something, money, something that we are taught to hold very closely, and instead of having a closed fist with it, we open our hands.
we open our hands and we say, here, God, thank you. Use this for your gospel. Use this for your good news. Use this to further the cause of love and hope and salvation in this community and into the world. And so it is these things. It is, it is being dedicated to striving in the marks of discipleship. Again, not so that we get something from God, but so that we live into this relationship that we become disciples. And what's so awesome is in this passage, these disciples that have been with Jesus, you know these disciples, the ones who are arguing about who's the greatest about half the time, the ones who are denying him another part of the time, the other ones who are just like human beings, like us, a little broken, a little conflicted, a little self-serving. He says to them, with the love that the Father has given me, I've given to you. And I don't call you disciples anymore. You're not, you're not just students of mine anymore. You're my friend. Because I've given to you everything that the Father has revealed to me. And so we get to live into that as we become disciples and friends of Jesus. So today, may you be lifted up in your faith. Whatever, whatever troubles you're going through, whatever heartbreak you have, may, may you let God speak into it with that love and that hope and that grace that passes all understanding. May you get a glimpse of what God has been doing in your life and in the lives of those around you. May you rededicate yourself to the cause of the good news, whatever that means for you in your life. May you strive in the marks of discipleship and may you be filled with the love of God to overflowing, to speak a word of love and hope and grace into every relationship, into every community, into every place where you are. Amen.